Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to Rest. Good morning, Rest Church. How many of you are glad to be in God's house because that's where God's people are? Come on, come on. Let's give the Lord some love this morning. This morning, we're going to launch into our new sermon series, Under the Hood. And what the kind of the premise is all about is that you would never, ever buy a car just because it looks cool. Well, let's be honest. We're materialistic. We might do that. But for the most part, you want to ensure that you look under the hood, that, you, that it has a good working motor, that it has a good working transmission, that inside it has the features that you're looking for. You're going you're to check out proverbially what is under the hood. You're going to make sure that it meets your minimum expectations, right? When you go car shopping, even before you deal with the sleazebag car salesman, Even before you deal with that, you're going to make sure that you kind of understand the bare minimum requirements that you're looking for when buying a car. And, in, and the same is true when it comes to the church. Before you invest your time, your talents, your treasures into a new local church, you should really know what they do and why they do it. Like, what's their vision? Can, can, can these people be trusted? Are they scripturally sound? Do they practice what they preach? Do they, do they say one thing on Sunday morning, but th then the rest of the week, their life looks kind of really no different. They're indistinguishable from the rest of the world. Maybe you've asked these sorts of questions before. Maybe you're on your trial period. You're kind of, you know, talking as us millennials used to say before we would actually be committed dating. We're just talking. Right, you got millennials, you remember that? Just talking. It's before Facebook official. We, we are the generation that made Facebook official a thing. But before you are Facebook official with our church, you've been hanging around for a while and you're like, hey, what is, what is this group of crazy tattooed bearded people all about? And, and the, the reality is, is as we kind of walk through these, these, these next few sermons at rest, we, we want to answer those questions. At rest, you know, we, we don't just say, well, it's the way we've always done it. That's, that's not the proverbial language in this community. In fact, in fact, if there's one thing that maybe we're more beholden to than most places, we're be, we, we are anti-tradition. 
We're not about tradition. We're about what does it take to reach the world for Jesus. And so at rest, that answer of just this is the way we do it is not good enough. See, we know that there is immense power in the why behind the what. Over the next few weeks, we're going to wrestle with topics that are under the hood here in our community, in our fellowship, in our community of gospel-centered folks. And we're going to wrestle with topics such as a culture of ownership, culture of ownership, where we want everyone taking ownership. We're gonna, we're gonna spend a lot of time around that topic where it's not just, hey, you know, the preacher goes and visits people in the hospital and that's all that's required. No, we have a culture of ownership here, a culture of response where we as a church family, we respond. We talk about it every single Sunday morning service where we have a culture of response, a culture of truth where we take God and his word seriously, a culture of celebration. We thrive more on joy than on guilt guilt, a culture of diversity. We constantly strive for unity in diversity, not, uni, not, not just unity in the way that we look, not unanimity in the way that we talk, but unity in cross-cultural, in cross-generation that we can function together as the body of Christ. This morning, I want to discuss something with you that is very, very, very near and dear to my heart personally. That, that is part of one of the biggest growth movements of our church. It's probably the biggest tidal wave of everything that we have become over the last three years. And it's a culture of growth. Say culture of growth, church. A culture of growth here at Rest Church. When we look under the hood, what you're going to find is this culture of growth where we seek to become more like Jesus than we were yesterday. And maybe, maybe you say, oh, yeah, that's what every church says. What we want you to know is that while no one is perfect, we want to follow Jesus by putting into practice what he teaches in the Bible. We encourage each other towards continual spiritual growth. With God's help, we want you to become disciples of Jesus who are constantly and continuously growing to become disciple makers for Jesus. Did you hear that? What, what is this culture of growth? It is this, is that we want you to become disciples of Jesus who are continually growing to become disciple makers of Jesus. My man, that's right. For this reason, church, we want to establish in every single heart of every single person in our church this continual mindset that when they walk into the doors of their home, when they walk into the doors of their work, when they walk into the doors of this place, that we are disciples of Jesus and we are on a journey to make disciples for Jesus. So this morning, church, if you would open your Bibles to 2 Peter, and we're going to read chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And we're going to capture a very, very small portion of Peter coming to the church. And he's basically, he's trying to stir them up. And he's saying, I want, I want to fan you into a flame. I want to make you fully devoted followers of Christ. I want to stir you up. And he, he went over and over, he says, I, I, want to, I want to remind you of these things so that you would be stirred up in your faith. And so now we're going to look at this. Very small portion here. He says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue 
with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And here's the key verse for this morning right here. Verse, verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For these qualities are yours and they are what, church? Come on, let's say it together. Come on, let's say it together. There we go. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, let's pray. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, I pray that as we open up the conversation around your word, as we open up the call to come and die, Lord, may you grab our hearts. May you shake and stir something inside of us. Lord, may you have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Littered all over the New Testament is this common theme that all believers for their entire life are expected to keep growing. There is but one offering, say one, there is only one offering, death. We don't get to retire out of growth for the kingdom. We don't get to um, get excluded because we are too young or we are too immature in the faith. There is only one offering for us growing in our faith and that is death. We can never ever find ourselves too old or too wise, too young or too immature. We are to foster within ourselves a desire for growth and effectiveness in gospel work for our lives. Additionally, we should seek out community of believers who are like-minded and will help catapult us into fully devoted followers of Jesus. Amen? We need a gospel community. We need folks in our lives. We need a group of fundamental believers who will help catapult us to becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. How many of you are like me and who can honestly say this morning, I'm a bit selfish? There's, there's 10 of us that are honest. 10 this morning. I won't say what I said a few weeks ago. Someone that works with me in the plant in Michigan listened to our podcast and he goes, I can't believe you called your church a bunch of Pharisees. And I was like, it's just rest, man. I don't know what to tell you. No one's offended, we're all good. But the truth is, is we're all pretty selfish. Like our, our natural tendency is to have this proclivity towards selfishness. And therefore we need a gospel community to come grab us by the neck sometimes and to fling us towards Jesus because we sometimes are incapable of doing it on our own, right? At rest, this is our desire above all things. We care more about having a culture of growth than lights, than music, more than the building or any other material objects. We care more about this than any single thing else is to have a culture of growth within our community. What does a culture of growth where we seek to become more like Jesus at rest look like? What does a, a culture of growth where we seek to become more like Jesus 
look like at rest? What what does that look like, church? Honestly, when we first launched this church, at times, I'm gonna be honest with you, we were chasing the crowd. Our minds were constantly focused on the Sunday morning service. I remember at, at, at um, Park Avenue, we would have this meeting every week after church. Julie, you remember this? We would all get in this room. And we would sit on these tables because we only had like three tables. We were so poor, we owned three tables. And we would all sit in this room and we would talk about what went right and what went wrong in the service. Because our mind's eye, everything that we were focused on was on the church. How do we make the music better? Where, what note did we do wrong? Oh, we, we broke this, this sequence wrong. We, we should have had a, a longer pause there. Or we can't let it die. Oh, it felt really weird in there. Or, or we would say among the pastor team, how do we make our messages more engaging? We need more edgy topics to preach from. We need better taglines. But ultimately, God began to deeply challenge the pastor team. For us to become, as a church, much more than a Sunday morning event. And this, this transition led us to trading our desire for a weekly, well-produced production on a Sunday morning, in for a community that celebrates biblical and relational growth. Our measuring stick changed. It was no longer about butts and seats, bucks in the offering plates, or buildings for infrastructure. Rather, we became maniacally focused on folks being engaged in the discipleship process. Because... A culture of spiritual growth begins and ends with discipleship. A culture of spiritual growth begins and ends with discipleship. In order to make disciples, church, we must first be disciples. I want you to hear that because the church is so broken. We're we're constantly saying, we're doing discipleship. Or let's get together for Sunday afternoon discipleship. But the truth is, we can't make disciples unless we are first disciples ourselves. Many have the misconception that if they attend church multiple times a month, they're on the road to discipleship. Unfortunately, no matter how good the preaching is or how many notes you take, how many pages of of what I say you write down, it will not lead you to a life that is fully devoted following Jesus. Preaching is not good enough. Preaching alone will not produce disciples. On this topic, Avery Willis says the following. I want you to check this out. It's hilarious. I really don't believe much discipling is done through preaching. Yes, you can impart information and emotion in preaching, but discipleship is much more relational, more one-on-one. Preaching to make disciples is like going to the nursery, spraying the crying babies with milk, and saying that you just fed the kids. Preaching does not make disciples. Don't miss the point here. I'm not saying preaching is not important. In fact, we believe and practice its importance weekly. As our sermons, as you know, if you've been around and your first time guest, we typically preach 45 to 55 minutes without fail every week. 
Our typical sermons are verse by verse, heavy expository preaching as we dissect every word in the text as we open up God's word. We believe in preaching in an expository nature because it helps the believer understand how to read their Bible in their personal quiet time, how to open up the text and begin to dive deep into it to be able to sift the ground and pull things out to apply to their life. Preaching is a fundamental building block of the faith. And it's how most of us came to know Jesus as Lord. A pastor preached, a preacher preached, and God through the Holy Spirit drew us to him and we met Jesus through preaching. Likewise, I'm not saying church attendance is not important for spiritual growth. Once again, statistics would show us that if we fall out of regular attendance to the church, we are almost five times more likely to completely walk away from the church all together. Having a habit of going to church is possibly the most important decision you can make on a weekly basis. In fact, a Harvard 2016 study said those who attended services once a week saw their odds of dying go down 26%. For those who attended less than weekly, the odds of dying decreased 13%. But the most important thing about having a culture of growth is not how good the preacher is or how moving the worship was or how many people showed up for the service, but how deeply committed the congregation is to Jesus. Now, I want you to hear that. A culture of growth is not how good the preacher preached. It's not how beautifully the worship team sang. It's how much the congregation is madly in love with Jesus. That's why our chief aim at Rest Church is simple, church. Here it is. The chief aim of our church is simple. Make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. The chief aim of our church is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by one thing. It's disciples. As a pastor, when I stand before Jesus at the end of my life, he's not gonna say, Cody, how many did you have come to church? How many were attending church regularly at your church? That's not what he cares about. That's not the measuring stick the New Testament gives us. No, the measuring stick the New Testament gives us in Matthew 28 is to go into the world and make disciples. Fully devoted followers of Jesus who are making disciples. And so maybe you're like, man, I have no idea what you're saying, disciple. What does that even mean? It's not insider language, and I'm going to explain that to you. What is disciple or disciple making? It is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. There's three major components there. Three major components that I want to point out that you see from this right here. It is equipping believers with the word. It is teaching folks how to know the word, how to study the word. Because if if we're being honest, most people, when they come to know Jesus, they approach this book and they, and they don't really know how to read it. They don't, they, they can read it because I've talked to some of these folks before. They say, pastor, I read it, but I, I don't understand what it means. 
I, 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 don't, I don't know what it means. And so discipleship is learning uh, or is teaching and growing folks how to be able to read God's word and to hear his voice come out of the pages of the scriptures. Additionally, in discipleship here at rest, we teach you the fundamentals of theology, right? Because how can you say you believe something when you don't understand the fundamental tenets of that faith? Theology is important. It's very, very, very important. So one of the major components is equipping believers with the word. Second portion of that is accountable relationships, Like we all admitted early, we're selfish. We're prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. And we need folks to correct us. We need folks to help guide us, to push us on the track to Jesus. We need relationships with people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit that we would be accountable one to another to God's word. And lastly, the final thing is that we would replicate that process over and over and over and over again. Because the chief aim of our church is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We affirm that just attending church on Sunday morning is not good enough for you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. We believe, teach, and model that you need to do life with others from within the faith community to become disciples of Jesus. Within that community, a person will be challenged to dive deeper into God's word while also being pushed to conform more to the image of Christ. Christ Jesus in their lives. This idea is not new. This isn't some 21st century growth metric kind of thing. This isn't some special program that that Tom Rayner made in the Lifeway building in Nashville. No, this comes all the way from the New Testament church. Check this out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you have become very dear to us. Paul shared with the church in Thessalonica the good news, his good news of Jesus as well as his life. Discipleship is good news plus good relationships. If you separate the two, that's not discipleship. If we just talk about the good news all the time, that might as well just be a Bible study. That might as well be you just listening to me preach. That's just the good news. All you're hearing is the good news. But discipleship is about relational growth together. It is good news plus good relationships. And Paul, Paul is driving this home to the church in Thessalonica. The call is the same for every one of us. Whether you're new or you're a family partner, God is imploring you. He is pushing you to be in gospel community to a place where you can hear the good news and you can share in good relationships. Having a culture of growth is much more than just biblical knowledge. In addition to biblical knowledge, a culture of growth must involve sharing life with one another, carrying one another's burdens, gently correcting one another when we begin to walk outside of the scriptures. Paul understood this. That's why in each of the church communities that he planted, he would work alongside them. 
He would break bread with them. He would laugh with them. He would teach them the word because this is true and we all know it. Truth, truth without life is hollow. Truth without life is hollow. We've all heard the saying, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? We don't want somebody telling us how we're wrong all the time. We don't want somebody trying to correct us until they know us, until we give them the space and we afford them that place. And that's what discipleship is all about, is we see that truth without life is hollow and therefore it is good news with good relationships in pursuit of Jesus and becoming more like him today than we were yesterday, it requires more than just yourselves. We can't become the best versions of ourselves alone. We can't become fully devoted followers of Jesus without some correction. The concept of living in gospel community and having someone to help shape us and mold us is all over the scriptures. It's literally everywhere. Moses had Jethro. Peter had Jesus. Paul had Barnabas. Timothy had Paul. Titus had Paul. John Mark had Peter. It's everywhere. We can't become who God wants us to be in our walk without community we can not and based on this premise based on this very single premise you get one of the benchmarks of our church in case you don't know in the back of the room across that very back wall are the 10 benchmarks that make the basis the fundamental basis of our community and it's here that we get this premise of we don't do life together benchmark number six Benchmark number six on the back wall, it says this. The church isn't a building or a program. It's the people. To have community with, our, with others, you have to love them. To love someone, you have to build trust. To trust someone, you have to get to know them. Jesus loved the church and gave up his life for her. Therefore, it is impossible to love Jesus and not do life with the bride. We aren't meant to do life alone. You are not meant to do life alone. That's why here at Rest, we are a small group driven church for this reason. Not that we believe Sunday school is bad, but in our context, here in the, in the people groups that God has called us to reach. We think that small groups is the best way to have deep, authentic, spiritual formation. And, and here at Rest Church, we offer two different types of small groups. The first one is our rest groups. Our rest groups. And, and if you, you don't know what that is, here in a couple weeks, we're going to launch a big new round of rest groups. And, and, and rest groups are an expression of our church outside of Sunday. These groups are open to everyone and centered around kind of common felt needs, gifts, interests, passions, hobbies, affinities. We believe that God has created you with a purpose and he's uniquely crafted you. In fact, our Rest groups, they're, they're built around this very thing, is to grow in relationship with Christ, with like-minded people who have the kind of the same ethos in life as you do. After all, that's what the Bible's all about, loving God and loving others. Life's already hard enough, so you don't need to do life alone. And so 
our rest groups are essentially, they're, they're very easy places for you to go connect and have relational community with folks, but to also have the good news brought forth. And so if you are new to rest, here in a couple of weeks as we launch our new rest groups, I, I, I cannot say enough, if you don't feel connected, that's the place for you to go find community. And if you go into one group and you go, whoa, this isn't my people, that doesn't mean the whole church represents that small little group. Because I'm going to be honest with you, we're crazy here. Okay? And so some, of, some groups are a little bit more crazy than others, but find the level of crazy you can tolerate. The second group, which is a much more intense group, is our D groups. Our discipleship groups are made of two to four people who meet weekly to study God's word, do life together, serve one another, carry one another's burdens. These groups best function as men only or women only, men leading men, women leading women. The D group leader will find the folks who will be a part of their group. You can't ask to be a part of a D group here. Um, in fact, what we tell our folks who have came out of our replication process, who have been part of a D group, who have been mentored and discipled by someone else who has began that journey, is they are to go look for fat people. And you're like, what? Fat people. Those are faithful, available and teachable folks. Because this comes back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul tells Timothy, he says, he says, I want you to entrust in reliable men who are qualified to teach others. See, there's this premise that we don't just pull people into D groups unless we believe that they could be reliable, faithful, and teachable people. Fat, faithful, available, and teachable. And so what that means is, is that we know that they've already demonstrated in their life that they can be counted on. And not just that, but they're available. Their time is available. There are many folks who they are faithful, but they're not available. Their life is too crazy, too hectic to where that they could go week in, week out because it is an 18 to 12 month commitment. Every single week, you're not allowed to schedule date night on that night. You're not allowed to go do things. It is a commitment to engross themselves in God's word and to live in community. And then that, that person, when they identify fat people, they approach them and ask them to come be a disciple. D groups last kind of these varying different time frames. But the goal is one thing. And they always begin with the end in mind. It's replication. Everything about our D groups is about replication. Because remember, the chief aim is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so it all comes back to that very thing, to replicate that process, to teach people how to engage with God's word, to memorize scripture, to faithfully be in prayer, and to serve the Lord with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this comes back to kind of that, as we see in the New Testament, we see Barnabas take Paul, Paul take Timothy, and so we have this replication process where disciples make disciples that make disciples. For some, this is the only reason why they're still at rest. 
Is our small group model, our small group methodology, our emphasis on discipleship. For others, it's the main reason why they left. is because everything about who we have became doesn't fit their idea of church. Because if we're honest, this is a call to come and die. This is the call of Jesus, to lay aside our desire to do life alone, to live in a place of comfort where we will not be confronted with our bad theology or our erratic behavior. That is the call of a church on discipleship. If Jesus' last words recorded in both Matthew 28, Acts 1, explicitly state that we are to make disciples, then why is it not the chief aim of all believers? Why is it not the cry of the masses who claim to follow Jesus? It's a question we must ask ourselves. Bill Hull says this, We are too easily satisfied with conventional successes, bodies, bucks, and buildings. The average Christian resides in the comfort zone of, I pay the pastor to preach, administrate, and counsel. I pay him, he ministers to me. I am the consumer, he is the retailer. I have needs, he meets them, that's what I pay for. The chief barrier to effective discipleship is not that people do not have the ability to become spiritually mature, but they lack the passion, perspective, priorities, and perseverance to develop their spiritual lives. Most Christians know that spiritual growth is important, personally beneficial, and expected, but few attend church that push them, attend churches that push them to grow or provide the resources necessary to facilitate that growth. Few believers have relationships that hold them accountable for spiritual development. In the end, it boils down to personal priorities. For most of us, regardless of our intellectual assent to the importance of Christian growth, our passions lie elsewhere. And our schedule and energy follow those passions. Most believers, it turns out, are not satisfied to engage in a process without regard for the product. At the end of the day, if you make disciples, you will always get the church. However, in our current culture and context, just because you have a church doesn't mean that you're going to get disciples. Therefore, the call of rest church is the same as Jesus. Here it is, church. Come die to yourself. Pursue Jesus, become a disciple, and make disciples. I want you to hear that. Therefore, the call of rest church is the same as that of Jesus. Come die to yourself. Pursue Jesus. Become a disciple. And make disciples. Maybe you, maybe you hear what I'm saying this morning and you feel like you're incongruent with that message. Maybe you, you've been coming to rest for quite some time and you say, Pastor, I haven't taken that step. I haven't went on that spiritual journey yet myself. If that's you, don't be down. Don't be discouraged. 
Don't be down and don't be discouraged because do you think that Peter and Luke and the other disciples were ready for Jesus to call them when he did? These dudes were baboons, man. They made all kinds of mistakes after being with him three years, let alone the moment he told them to put down their nets and come follow him and he would make them fishers of men. They were not ready And so today when you take spiritual inventory of your life and you say, I'm not sure I'm ready for that commitment, Pastor. I'm not sure I'm ready to come and die. Neither were they. No, they were hopelessly lost and immature. Don't buy the lie that you need to know more or you need to be around a little longer before you dive into gospel community. Jesus is not asking for you to fake it until you make it. No, he wants the raw you. He wants your brokenness. And we want it too. Because that's what the faith community is all about. That's what it comes down to is that we would come and we would die to ourselves in our pursuit for Jesus. And it is there in that raw authenticity that somehow, some way serves as a magnet to the world. Because people like raw, real Christians, not fake ones, raw, real ones who are pursuing Jesus with everything that they have. That we would become a disciple of Jesus. That we would be willing at a moment's notice to give up everything to follow him. That we would would be willing to invest in people's lives, even people who might hurt us, even people who might say mean thing to us, even people who, who at times aren't the best of people in order that we might make disciples. That's the call of the church. That's the call and the heartbeat of Jesus is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Discipleship is the pathway to your spiritual maturity. But you have to make the choice to come and die. You have to make the choice to be vulnerable in front of others to help you get from point A to point B. You have to make the choice to die to yourself, to become whom God has ordained you to be. But it's only on your choice to die to yourself. I want to close with an illustration from the book Growing Up by Robbie Gallaty. And if you have never read that book, it's the basis and the premises of everything that we do from a discipleship model here at Rest Church. In the Mere Woods, just north of San Francisco, lies an incredible forest, a forest of sequoia trees. These trees reach around 250 feet into the sky. They're considered the largest living things on earth. They're kind of aliens compared to all other living things. Many of them have been alive for over 1,500 years, enduring nature's fiercest winds and storms, and here recently even fires. What's the secret to their preeminence? Most people think it would probably be the depths of their roots. 
But that's actually not it at all. In fact, the the depth of the root of a sequoia tree that stretches up to 250 feet tall is only four feet into the earth's soil. Very shallow, very, very shallow for the height of the tree. The reason for sequoia's sustained growth is their support system. Beneath the earth's surface, sequoia trees, they only grow in groves or rows. In fact, if you were to erode away the soil, what you would find is that in these groves or in these rows is that four feet down into the ground, the sequoia trees grow together. Their roots bind together to make this massive, humongous, long stretching ball of roots together. They are held up tall in community together. The strength that they possess is only for their brother and sister tree to the left, to the right, to the front or the back of them. That is the sustaining factor of their growth is to be interlocked with each other. It's their secret to their survival throughout the centuries. What a lesson for the body of Christ. Just as no sequoia tree grows alone, no Christ follower becomes a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus alone. Paul, on the road to Damascus, in pursuit of killing Christians, that was his main job, was to hunt down and kill Christians. We see him at the stoning of Stephen. He's the lead instigator, the lead investigator to put him to death. And what we find is on the road to Damascus, God strikes him down, blinds him. And he meets this man named Ananias who prays for him that his sight would be restored after he gives his life to Jesus. He sees Jesus in this vision. Jesus, I mean, Paul spends years, years in discipleship, years listening under the tutelage of Barnabas, the encourager, the man who draws out the mighty man that Paul might become. Paul was not the pillar of the Christian faith until he was discipled in gospel community. I cannot tell you, you were not meant to do life alone enough. God has called you to community. So whether it be here, whether it be at Heartland, whether it be at Relevant, it doesn't matter to us. What matters is that you would find yourself in gospel community. That you would surrender your life and you would die to yourself and you would take up your cross to become a disciple who would become a disciple maker. So this morning, if you're checking out Rest Church and you say what matters fundamentally to you, As you look under the hood, outside of just the Sunday morning, we get up here and you you see us dancing and singing and you see us preaching. Outside of that, more than anything else, if you are ever going to ever leave our church, hear this. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. And here at Rest Church, you can guarantee that the pastor team will fight with every living breath that we have to see that we create a culture of growth that folks can become fully devoted followers of Jesus.